Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you're listening. Today, we're going to talk about 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. And we've got some good stuff to think about. You know, anytime I think about redemption, I think about Christ being the sacrifice, the offering uh, for sin, there's all kinds of things that come to mind. Of course, thankfulness and so forth. One of the texts that I, I just love is an encounter with John the Baptist in John chapter 1, 29 through 36, where it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water, and John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not, but that he sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom shall thou see the Spirit descending and remaining on him? The same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saw it said, Behold the Lamb of God. This is relevant to what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about redemption. Redemption through Christ, through his blood, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So when we look at the scriptures and we think about uh, redemption and looking back and think about some of the things that we're going to talk about, I mean, it's a great Bible study in various different ways. Uh, think back to Moses and the days where Moses came to bring the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And you know, the relationship didn't start that way, right? E when you think of Egypt, Joseph goes down to e Egypt as a captive. Uh, he is in Potiphar's house. He's falsely accused of trying to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife. He's cast into prison. He prophesies before Pharaoh. He tells about the, the, the famine that is to come, sets up Egypt to be successful, and ends up delivering his family. Uh, and the children of Israel... To, from the famine that hit the land, that they moved down to Israel. But then when you, when you come to the book of Exodus, there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph, didn't know the mighty wonders and acts that happened because of Joseph and the blessedness that God had brought upon the Egyptian people. So they needed to be freed because that Pharaoh decided he would put uh, God's people into bondage. Then texts like Exodus 6 come to mind. In Exodus 6, 1 through 6, the Lord said unto Moses, Now shall thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of this land. God spoke unto Moses, said unto him, I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, by my name Jehovah, was I not known to them. I've also established my covenant with him to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say ye unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Redemption. Even before we talk about Jesus, even before we come into the new covenant of Christ, 
Redemption was of God. In several Old Testament scriptures, Psalm 130 and verse 7, it being one of them, says, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him there is plenteous redemption. Isaiah, multiple accounts where Isaiah in chapter 47 and verse 4, As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. In Isaiah 54, 5, For thy Maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of whom the whole earth shall be called. In Isaiah 63, 16, Doubtless thou art our Father, Though Abraham be ignorant of us and Israel acknowledges not, thou, O Lord, art our Father, our Redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. So even under the old law, before there is an understanding of what Christ is, like John saw him, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Before that knowledge, before that understanding was given and, and spoken and came place, Uh, in this world through Christ, the people of Israel knew when they were in trouble, they could look to the Lord God, Father Almighty for redemption. Well, when you're looking at the Old Testament, there are some things like we're going to talk about today, how redemption was not with corruptible things. One of the old law, there was different things regarding redemption, and often redemption did require corruptible things. Take, for example, Numbers chapter 3, verses 40 through 51, where the Lord said unto Moses, number all the firstborn of the males of the children of Israel from a month old and upward. Take the number of their names. Thou shalt take the Levites for me. I am the Lord instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the cattle of all the Levites instead of all the firstlings among the cattle of the children of Israel. And Moses numbered as the Lord commanded him all the firstborn among the children of Israel. And all the firstborn males, by the number of names, from a month old and upward, of those that were numbered of them, were twenty and two thousand two hundred and threescore and thirteen. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle, and the Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. And for those that are to be redeemed, of the two hundred and three score and thirteen of the firstborn of the children of Israel, which are more than Levites, thou shalt take even five shekels apiece by the pole. After the shekel of the sanctuary shalt thou take them. The shekel is twenty geras, and thou shalt give them money, wherewith the odd number of them is to be redeemed unto Aaron and to his sons. And Moses took the redemption money of them that were over and above them that were redeemed by the Levites, of the firstborn of the children of Israel took he money, a thousand, three hundred, three score, and five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the money of them that were redeemed unto Aaron and to his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So if you're looking at redemption in this sense, it's through money. It's financial. So you can understand why what we're going to talk about today has some relevance uh, for those of us who were first taught from the New Testament because we're under the law of Christ. And yes, the New Testament is also called the law of Christ. Passages like Galatians 6, 2 or the perfect law of liberty in James 1, 25 and James 2, 12. Well, being under the law of Christ, the covenant of Christ, various different things that we could call it. We're not under the law of Moses. Nobody today 
is under the law of Moses. So for us who were taught just from the New Testament first and then went back and studied the old law, maybe to us, this is not something difficult to grasp. But what about the Jews in the first century who were taught that redemption was through corruptible things like money? What about those Jews who taught it to the Gentiles like they did other things like circumcision, so forth, so on? You could see why some of these things need to be taught even though the primary audience of this letter, the primary recipients are, are Gentiles, as we've talked about in previous lessons, you could see why it would need to be taught or, or reminded in this sense. And we'll, we'll get into all of that. Well, under the old law, there wasn't true redemption. We can see that through the words of Zechariah after the birth of John the Baptist, his son. In Luke 1, 67 through 75, his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost. So this isn't his opinion, right? And prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all them that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we be delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So during the old law, during the time of the law of Moses, they were looking forward to redemption. Well, what, what's that mean? What does it mean to be redeemed as we're going to look at it in this lesson? Well, if you grab your, your concordance and your Bible dictionary, I'm, I'm going to give you Thayer's Greek-English lexicon, but if you're using a dictionary that's numbered to Strong's, it's 3084. And that the definition that Thayer uh, gives is to release on receipt of ransom, to redeem, liberate by payment of ransom, to liberate to cause to be released to oneself by payment of a ransom, to redeem, to deliver from evils of every kind, internal and external. So that's a rather large uh, definition, but we understand that Jesus is the ransom. We're going to talk about that as we go forward, that he liberates us from what? We're going to talk about that as we go forward. The purchase price, his blood, and we're going to talk more about that as we go forward. Well, Israel understood that when the Messiah, when the Christ came, that this is exactly what was going to occur. In a context after the resurrection of Christ in Luke 24, 13 through 27, Jesus found a couple men walking and talking and he appeared unto them and he talked with them. They didn't know who he was. And as he was talking with them, they said in verse 21, we trusted that it had been he which have redeemed Israel, besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. So they understood that the Christ, the Messiah, is the Redeemer. Now, here in this particular context, they, they thought it's over since Jesus died. They failed to have the recollection and understanding that, yes, this third day is when he's going to be risen. In fact, if you go down further in the context where he says, them, oh, fools, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things, to enter into his glory? And then he began at Moses and the prophets, and he taught unto them the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus is the Redeemer for all 
humanity. Like, again, John so eloquently put it, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. As the Redeemer, you think about what comes with that, right? And and we're going to get into some good, fun things in our study today. I, I'm just so excited. It is just awesome to be able to open the Word of God and talk to you about it. I'm so thankful for you Give me the opportunity to do this podcast. I know there's not hundreds and thousands of listeners, but for those of you that regularly listen, thank you for giving me this opportunity to teach. It's awesome. And it's awesome to be able to talk about Jesus. It's awesome to be able to talk about all of the scriptures, but in particular lessons like this where we get to talk about Jesus. How can we not love that? Our Savior, our, our Redeemer. So in Titus 2, 11 through 14, Jesus is the Redeemer. Notice the grace of God that bringeth us salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and to purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I love this because it teaches us about grace. That grace isn't just an unmerited favor like people often just say, that's all that grace is. No, it's much more than that. We grow in grace. You know that? 2 Peter 3.18. Here, grace gives you a responsibility to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Grace and redemption means that Jesus purchased us. Yes, he liberated us. Yes, but for what? That we would be unto him a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Not just, you've been set free, go do whatever you want. You've been set free, do what I want. Oh, that's just wonderful stuff. And I think it's it's so simple, but it's highly disregarded, especially in the world of organized religion where people are serving churches instead of Christ. It's so terrible that, that we see that regularly. It's the most common thing that happens though. So with all of this in mind, Let's talk about 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. We're going to kind of jump at it just in the order of the text. You know, uh, it says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Uh, we're going to start off just... You know, real simple. Um, matter of fact, as I think about this text, for as much as ye know, so this is a review. And review is great. I, I would hope that for a lot of you listening out there, that the information that we're going to talk about should be a review. Maybe I'm going to give you some Old Testament things that you don't know off the top of your head. Maybe we're going to look at some applications that you haven't tied together. But review is awesome. It's great. You know, when you think about the teaching method of Peter and 2 Peter, uh, look at two different places here. Chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of things, though ye know them, and be established in this present truth. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he said, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, Lord and Savior. Learning is not always about obtaining new information. 
It's about being reminded of what you already know. When you think about being holding things in memory, you know, Jesus instituted the, the memorial, his, his last supper in Matthew chapter 26, 17 through 30. And in that last supper, in what we call the Lord's Supper, or in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 following, is called communion. He set that up to eat this bread in remembrance of me, to drink this fruit of the vine in remembrance of me. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, to do that in remembrance of him. And we do that on the first day of the week, Acts 20 and verse 7. So that's 52, or if it's a leap year and Sunday happens, there happens to be 53 Sundays, 53 first days of the week that we remember the Lord's body and blood and sacrifice for us. You know, that's a great thing because that ties to what we're talking about now, doesn't it? Like this is a great text in thinking about the Lord's Supper and thinking about the price that was paid. But as we think about a price being paid, we need to ask and think about why did a price need to be paid? And I'm not going to go into the simplicity of sin entering into the world through Adam. I think you likely know that. If you don't know that and you would like to study that, be glad to help you with that. But sin comes into the world and sin's not passed on to people. Sin is something you do. First John 3 and verse 4, sin is transgression of the law. Uh, but death was passed on, and our Lord comes into this world to bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. Redemption being purchased and, and, and what it's about and all that ties to it. I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach uh, just to give us some, some more perspective to think about than just the simplest uh, way we could approach it. When you think about the need to be redeemed, think about something like slavery. In Leviticus chapter 25, verses 47 through 55, it says, If a sojourner or a stranger wax rich by thee, and thy brother that dwelleth by him wax poor and sell himself unto the stranger or sojourner by thee, or to the stock of the stranger's family, after that he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him, either his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or any that is nigh of kin unto him of his family may redeem him. Or if he be able, he may redeem himself. He shall reckon with him that brought him from the year that he was sold to him to the year of Jubilee, and the price of his sale shall be according to the number of years, according to the time of a hired servant shall be with him. If there be yet many years behind, according unto them, he shall give again, the price of his redemption out of the money that he was brought for. And if there remain but few years under the year of Jubilee, then he shall count with him, and according to his years shall he give him again the price of his redemption. And as yearly hired servant shall he be with him, and the other shall not rule with rigor over him in thy sight. And if he be not redeemed in these years, then he shall go out in the year of Jubilee, both he and his children with him, for unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So think about slavery. Or think about Israel and bondage in Egypt, kind of like what I brought up uh, at the beginning where, where I brought up Exodus chapter 6, 
with the Lord being the redeemer. Well, he, he redeemed them out of, out of Egypt. That wasn't a monetary exchange, right? He freed them through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 8 says, But because the Lord loved you, because he would keep the oath that he has sworn in your fathers, the Lord hath brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Deuteronomy 15, 15, Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee, therefore I command thee this day. So just being in slavery and bondage of any sort, there is the need of being redeemed. Even if there's not an exchange of money in this case, the Lord still was looked at as the redeemer because he liberated them, right? So it doesn't always require uh, the payment of a ransom, uh, but here the liberation occurred. Uh, later, as you study through the Old Testament, the children of Israel, Er, and ten tribes are, are taken into Assyrian captivity in 2 Kings chapter 17 and 18. Judah and Benjamin remain. Well, they err too. And eventually, God sends them for 70 years into Babylonian captivity. Well, coming out of captivity is a process of redemption. In Isaiah 48, 20, Go ye forth of Babylon, flee ye from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing, declare ye, tell ye this, utter ye even to the end of the, the earth, say ye, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. So what did he do? He freed them. Freed them from what? From captivity, from being uh, people who were being captured. And Jeremiah 15, 21, I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked and will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. In Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 34, their redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He shall thoroughly plead their cause that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. In Micah chapter 4, and verse 10, be in pain, labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shall she go forth out of the city and there shall dwell in the field. Now shall go even to Babylon. There thou shalt be delivered. The Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of of thine enemy. So redemption, bringing them out of captivity, bring them out of bondage, slavery as an idea. Well, into what are we who have needed redeemed? Because remember, this text is for as much as you know, you were not redeemed. So the people addressed here, the strangers, the pilgrims, the Gentile Christians that are being addressed in this letter needed to be redeemed. Well, from what? Consider John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Let that sink in for a moment because it comes back to something that I had made mention to earlier that sin is something you do. Well, when you commit sin, you transgress the law. You're called a sinner, yes. But then you are also made a servant to sin. If, if you look up the Greek word, is doulos, uh, if I remember correctly, I don't, I don't remember the Strong's number, but it means to be a slave. If you look that word up, it means to be a slave. Whether you, you choose to be or not, uh, you're, you're a slave. You're an attendant. You're, you, you belong to sin is the idea of John 8, 34. You've sold yourself into the slavery of sin. In fact, when you look at Romans chapter 6, written to Christians who had been redeemed, who had been uh, received the grace of God, who had faith, who had been baptized into Christ. In fact, Romans 6, 3 through 6, 3 through 7, talk about that. They've been justified. Well, he reminds them in Romans 6, 12 through 20, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body 
that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not, notice this, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servant of sins, you were free from righteousness. So it's either or. You're the servant of sin or the servant of the Lord. A slave to the devil or to the Lord. Which are you? And that is identified by what you do. Well, if you're a servant of sin, you need it redeemed. Who are you looking to for that? That, that is to the Lord. And, and that, this is not just to Gentiles. It's to Jew and Gentile alike. Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise. For we have proved both Jews and Gentiles that all are under sin. So it's not just Israel. Even though Israel had a bondage, and, and even the law of Moses wasn't a redemptive law, in Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for it, for his written curses everyone that hang on a tree. If you keep studying through the book of Galatians, you'll, you'll get down uh, as you go through chapter 3 and how the law was a schoolmaster to bring them unto Christ, how all our children of Abraham by faith, for as many of us have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, etc. Into chapter 4, the first seven verses, now I say that the heir... As long as the child differs nothing from a servant, they'll be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And, and you know, if you go back and you study Romans 7, 7 and 8, being under the law of Moses was a carnal law. It made the mind carnal. The actions were carnal. All of the things, like redemption. Remember redemption? It, it was through physical acts. It was... Uh, in part, many times through the offering up of corruptible things, of money to be bought back, so forth and so on. All those things of old were carnal. They were physical. Well, chapter 8, Romans, there, then, then the spiritual that is in Christ, the difference between the spiritual mind and the carnal mind. If you have a carnal mind, you can't be a servant of Christ. You're, you're going to be a servant to the flesh. The law of Moses kept them as servants to the flesh. So they were in bondage under the elements of the world. But, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, whereunto thou art no more a servant, but a son, and of a son than an heir of God through Christ. Redemption through Christ because they were under a law that they couldn't be justified under. In Acts 13, 38 and 39, Paul and Barnabas are here. They're preaching to an audience of Jews. It starts in a synagogue. It says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, that man contextually being Christ. And he says, And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So 
Under the law of Moses, there was no source of ransom that could bring about the remission of sins. Hebrews, great letter for understanding the difference between the priesthood and the sacrifice of Christ versus the priesthood and the sacrifices of old. I mean, if you just you just read through uh, chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, you get a great picture there. Chapter 10, the first four verses says the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with those sacrifices which they've offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscious sins. But in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made of sins every year for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. That was what they had under the old law. So redemption, very different of old. Redemption not offered to the Gentile. Come to Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So we see throughout the old law, these pleas that are made, like in a Psalm, Psalm 44, 26, arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Or in Isaiah 127, Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her converts with righteousness. Even though God had redeemed them from captivity or redeemed them from bondage or has allowed for them to be redeemed from slavery or, or, or the firstborn to re be redeemed uh, by silver and gold, by, by the shekels that were offered, etc., they still needed redemption. Now, we don't talk that way anymore. Because Christ was the once for all sacrifice. Backwards and forwards, Hebrews 9, 15 through 17. So, not redeemed by corruptible things is where we're leading into. Christians know, we know, like, like this verse says, for as much as ye know, that our redemption cannot come through wealth or other corruptible means. In Isaiah 49, 6-13, even under the old law, says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious and ceases forever, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he seeth that wise men die, Likewise, the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and that their dwelling places to all generations. They call their land, lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man bring in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the, their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings. You can't redeem yourself or have someone else redeem you under the law, couldn't be found through any other means, through whatever riches there were or, or what is uh, to come. It's the blood of Christ that brings redemption. In Hebrews 9, 11 and following, Christ being come a high priest of good things come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, right? So not, not the corruptible. This say, not this building, neither by the blood of bulls and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once in the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. See, there's not the plan for next year and next year and next year. Christ is 
Redemption. 1 Corinthians 1.30, to the saints in Corinth. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who is of God made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And that is both to the Jew and the Gentile. If you're to read earlier, I brought up Romans 3.9, and if you were to read verses 10 through 23, uh, Paul is pointing out to them how both Jew and Gentile had sinned in the past and are held as sinners before God because of their actions in the past. Of course, he was talking to those about their, their forefathers, both Jew and Gentile, because the Jews in Rome thought they were better than the Gentiles and vice versa. Well, if you continue in Romans 3, 24 through 30, he goes on and says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at the time of his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believe in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law or works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. He's talking about the law of Moses. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. So redemption through Christ for Jew and Gentile alike. Redeem from what? Here, the vain conversation received by the tradition of their fathers. So think about the, the, Jew, the Gentiles of the past, what they were known for. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. So the Gentiles, which know not God, have a reputation, one that was used as a tool of teaching even in the first century. Concupiscence being like a desire, a lust, a craving for what's forbidden, something wrong. We want the wrong things. Well, the Gentiles were taught by their fathers to lust after all the wrong things. They had a reputation of ignorance, a reputation of a continued sinful behavior, in Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 19, we see this where it says to the saints in Ephesus, this I say therefore in testifying the Lord that ye henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk and the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance within them because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past dealing have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. So here the Gentiles are presented as a people without conscience, without understanding, vain thinking, empty thinking because of their ignorance and blindness of hearts. So the conversation or the conduct received by the traditions of their fathers was to walk around, do what you want to do. They're known as a people of idolatry. 1 Corinthians 12, 2. You know that ye were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols even as you were led. Later in 1 Peter, we're going to see in verses, chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. For the time past of our life may it suffice, suffice, uh, suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. Now notice what's included here. We walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. When they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of wine, speaking evil of those things in you, 
Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? The Gentiles had a terrible history that their fathers taught them. It's why when the children of Israel entered in the land of Canaan, and you go back and you read Deuteronomy chapter 7, God wanted them to purge everybody out of that land, destroy everybody out of that land. Not that God just wanted to kill everybody, but he did not want his people to learn their ways because their ways, as we just read, are to lust after sinful things, are to be blind and ignorant, to have vain minds, to to be a people that have no conscience, to practice idolatry, people that dwelt in different uh, forms of alcoholism from from drunkenness to, to partying to social drinking. God didn't want his people involved in those things. Now, this being written primarily to, to Gentiles, I, I'm kind of focusing on their past, but just for the sake of, of point two, this doesn't mean that the Jews had a conduct that they learned from their fathers that was good. When they, when they were stoning Stephen, a teacher of God's word, one of the chosen seven in Acts 6, in Acts 7, 51 through 53, the context where right after this they stone him, so he, this is Stephen talking to a Jewish audience, says, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which show before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dissipation of angels and have not kept it. So being stiff-necked, having their hearts and their ears covered, resisting the will of God delivered through the Holy Spirit by the prophets, that was their reputation. So this is not to say, hey, the Gentiles are worse than the Jews. In fact, there's a greater argument to be made on the other end, right? Because to the Jews were commended the word of God, and with that, is a greater expectation or, or with that comes the greater judgment, right? When, when we look at uh, the book of Romans and we see that the Jews who said they were going to be the teachers but practiced the same things they talked about in Romans chapter 2, the entire chapter points out their hypocrisy. Well, they had an advantage because the oracles of God were committed unto them, Romans 3, 1 and 2. But they didn't take advantage of that. In fact, they turned away from God many, many, many times. When you're reading the Old Testament, it is a terrible account of apostasy on a repeated basis. Much easier to talk through the Old Testament about sin than it is about righteousness. So redeemed from the things they've learned of their fathers that was vain, that was empty. Now we come to the wonderful, but with the precious blood of Christ. Christ, through his blood, the spotless, without blemish sacrifice. In this letter, we'll be talking about this again. In chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, it says, for even hereunto are you called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. In chapter 3 and verse 18, 
For Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So the spotless without blemish. Under the old law, the lamb to be offered was to fit that criteria. In Leviticus 4.32, if he bring a lamb for a sin offering, he shall bring it a female without blemish. In Numbers 28.1-3, Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel, and say to them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifices made by fire for a sweet savor unto me, you shall observe to offer unto me in their due season. And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire, which shall you shall offer unto the Lord two lambs of the first year, without spot, day by day, for a continual burnt offering. Now listen, they had to do this all the time. There were many different offerings under the old law. Now that would be just a long lesson in itself. Thankfully, we don't really need to spend that time because it doesn't apply to us. Remember what we talked about earlier. Christ was the once for all. Doesn't have to be offered up again every year or during different feasts or under certain terms, etc. Once. But those lambs, like Christ, spotless without blemish. Now, under the old law, that was talking about physical things. You know, don't bring me that like they did when you study the book of Malachi. They, they ended up bringing sacrifices to God that were unacceptable and that they were, they were the, the, the broken ones. And the New Testament, without spot, is not about the flesh. It's not a physical factor. It's more than that. And 1 Timothy 6.14, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about living aright. It's not about do you have something wrong with your exterior. It's about the interior that is shown through action. And James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and their affliction and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. In 2 Peter 3.14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing ye look for such things, talking in context about the return of Christ and the end of the world, he says, Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Talking about the spiritual. The same is true you know, of, of, of the body, of the church. Ephesians 5.27, He might present itself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. You go back and listen to our lesson on 1 Peter 1, uh, 14 through 16, to be holy, to be without blemish, blemish, to be perfect. Not in a physical way, but a spiritual way. Now, I don't want to make a big emphasis of this point, but just, just kind of a, a thought for you. Christ wasn't physically without blemish or spot. I mean, think about what he lived through. Think about what he went through. And the night he was betrayed, Matthew 26, 67, they spit in his face, buffeted him, smote him with the palms of their hands. He was beaten. You continue to, to look at the account of Jesus and what he went through before his blood was spilt, before his body was offered. Yeah, they, they put him through some things. So he wasn't physically the perfect sacrifice. He was in the conduct of his life. Now, the spotless, blemished sacrifice 
we need to think about the cost here. And Jesus knew it. I, I can't wait to meet our Lord face to face. I have nothing to say. I just want to listen. I, 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 just, I just want to, I just, it's just, wow. See, I'm speechless, <laughs> just, just in thought. For Jesus to come into this world and to know before he was even born in the flesh everything that was going to happen to him, and for him to go through life in this world and still to go to the cross, and we, we know it's hard for him. We see that in Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's hard for him. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. He did the will of the Father. It was hard for him. It was a challenge for him. He was heard that he cried with tears, Hebrews 5, 6, and 7. But he became the author of salvation through, through his obedience. Verse 8. Well, when we look at Jesus, Matthew 20, 28. He says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Oh, His mind. And then the actions that show. It's one thing to say something, to plan it. He carried it out. To think of the price. Price the Father gave. I have three children. I love them so much. Love them so much. Trevor, Trey, Taylor, love them so much. All that I've seen in their lives and have gone through physically and spiritually, heartaches over physical and spiritual things that have happened, can't imagine giving one of them as a sacrifice for people who do not appreciate it at all. Me as a father, give myself before my child. To think of the father and his love and what he had to go through, unimaginable. But that's the price. That was the ransom. The father, who is the redeemer, says, I'm going to give of mine to redeem you. Think about the price. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Ye are bought with a price. What are you doing with that? What are you doing with that? The Father sent Jesus. 1 John 4.14, we have seen and do testify the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We know the love of God, 1 John 3, 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. We know the love of Christ through what He did. The love of the Father through the sending of Christ. 1 John 4, verse 9. And this was manifested the love of God to us, word, that God sent His only begotten Son of the world that we might live through Him. The price. So Colossians 1, 12 through 14, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us in the kingdom of his dear Son, and whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You have thought about the price lately? I'm supposed to do it every first day of the week. 
If you're out there listening in podcast land or you're on my website listening through the audio section, however you're obtaining this message, you're bought with a price. Have you embraced that? Have you obeyed the gospel to reap the benefits of the price that was paid? How are you living towards that? Remember what we, what we read through in Romans chapter 6, your servants to somebody, to who? To the Lord that bought you or to the devil who wants you? To spend eternity in hell with him. To who? Of sin unto death? Or righteousness unto eternal life? What are you serving? And, you know, the blood of Christ. We're talking about redemption, but just let me give you real quick. The blood of Christ did other things. Acts 20, 28. Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders. Said, take heed to yourselves. All the flock was over which the Holy Ghost made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself, by I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So peace and reconciliation. Hebrews 13.12, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people of his own blood, suffered without the gate, sanctification. Verse 20 of Hebrews 13, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, a new, new covenant. Revelation 1.5 from Christ is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins on his blood. Of course, these are all written to Christians. But to be loved enough that Jesus says, I'm going to wash your sins away. The blood of Christ, the price the price and all that it did. And we've talked about this already in our study uh, of this letter uh, when, we, when we were looking at it in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, where we talked about it was the plan. Well, for the Gentiles, you're not plan B, right? You're not God's second choice. The promise to Abraham was for all the nations of the earth to be blessed, Genesis 22, 18, not just the direct physical descendants of Abraham. And it was the plan when, when, when we talk about Christ being the lamb without blemish and without spot, he was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world, from, from before the beginning, before Adam and Eve transgressed. Titus 1, 1 through 3 says, Paul, servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and acknowledging the truth, which is after godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. But yet due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. We talked about 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, that you know, even the angels desired to look into what is now revealed through the new covenant, what we now know about salvation in Christ. Well, one of the reasons they would have been wondering is because before man was even formed... God said, I'm going to redeem you. It was a mystery. Romans 16, 25 and 26 says, Now to him there's the power to establish you according to my gospel, preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but is now made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. So since the world began, it was a mystery to man. Before the world began, it was a mystery to even the angels of heaven. And again, it just shows us that God foreknew, He planned 
on how to bring all men, how to bring reconciliation to all men, even though it was hidden through Christ. And we did talk about this, so I won't do it again, but just to give you the reference for your notes, Ephesians 3, 1 through 11, the mystery that was revealed and we now have. Well, 1 Peter 1, 20 ends with, but was made manifest in these last times for you. Boy, oh boy, people in the world right now are going nuts. Israel is at war. This must mean that we're in the last times. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been in the last times since the first century. And Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, God, who at sundry times in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. These last days, first century. Israel is not God's land. There is not a place on earth that is God's land. The church, the people of God, the kingdom of our God, the kingdom of Christ is not of this world. Uh, under the Old Testament, yes. Physical Israel was God's people, but not anymore. Jesus said in John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. When you look at Hebrews chapter 12, wonderful study. Um, I wrote a series of articles in Hebrews. If you've not ever studied them, you might go to wordsoftruth.net. I went through and did the best that I could with limited space to explain all the verses in the book of Hebrews using the scriptures to explain the scriptures, not Brian's opinion. But Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, written to Christians, you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to God the judge of all and the spirits of just men made perfect. The kingdom, the church, not earthly, heavenly, spiritual, not of this world, okay? So we're in the last days. We have long been, you know, 1 John 2, 18 uses this language, little children, it is the last time. And now, now you know what people will say, well, we're looking for the Antichrist. Notice what, what was said in 1 John chapter 2, first century. And as you have heard, the Antichrist shall come even now. Are there many Antichrists whereby we know it is the last time? That's first century. And we talked about all of this when we studied 1 Peter 1, 5, which says you're kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, but ready to be revealed in the last time. So like the previous point about the plan before the foundation of the world being made known in the last times, we've talked about these. If you've not listened to uh, the lessons in 1 Peter, it would be very good for you to go back and listen from the beginning. You can also go to wordsoftruth.net and go to uh, Bible study materials, New Testament. You could look at outlines of this material. I, I don't always stick 100% with the outline, but I try to, for the podcast, to run as close as possible. But inevitably, things come up sometimes while I'm delivering the podcast and I throw it in. So not everything is in uh, the physical notes online, but, uh, you know, my brethren here in El Paso know this. Uh, I outline, I study, and then as I teach, different things come up. And it's like in our Bible class discussions, um, if you were to look at the material I put together 
and compare that to what we actually talk about in the Bible class, sometimes it's very, very much different. So we go in different directions. But with this, I've tried to stay on, on point um, to make sure I don't miss anything. I put a lot of time into uh, preparing for it more than I do normal uh, sermons and, and classes. So all that material is online, audio, and as well as outlines for you to be able to follow along. So that's the wrap on this one. We're going to be studying 1 Peter 1.21, if all goes according to plan, in next Sunday's podcast, where it says, who by him do believe in God. Remember, that will be following up verse 20, which is talking about Jesus. So who by Jesus do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. We're going to be talking more about Jesus and the Father next week. I'm so excited. I love that. I love this. There is nothing better than to go verse by verse through the Bible, to study it in context, to talk about what it meant then, to think about the applications for us now. We, what we ought to be thinking about is I've been bought with a price. What am I doing with that? What am I doing with that? A heavy price, the highest price that could ever and has ever been offered on earth. Christ Jesus, our Lord, as a sacrifice. What are you doing with that? If you are in a position where you know your life is not right with the Lord, listen, I live for the opportunity to help, okay? Please call me. My phone number is 915-525-5794. You can go to that website, www.wordsoftruth.net. You can contact me through there. We can talk. Uh, I use Apple products. We could FaceTime. If you don't have an Apple product, we, we could talk via Skype. Uh, we can email uh, back and forth. If you're anywhere near me, we can meet in person. And near me, I mean, I'll travel a bit. So, uh, you know, give it a shot. And, and we can sit down and study. I'd love to help you have the opportunity of salvation. Thank you so much for listening. If all goes according to plan, you'll be able to come back on Tuesday. Tuesday's podcast is going to be on the silence of the scriptures. Is the silence of the scriptures permissive? I think you'll find that to be a very good study. Thank you so much for listening. I'll thank you, and I'll end it at this point with a goodbye.